Hello, and welcome to Cross the Line, a Christian perspective on politics. If you enjoy this episode, find us online at thecitizensbrief.com. Give us a follow on Instagram and a like on Facebook at The Citizens Brief to see more insightful Christian political content in your feed. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy this episode of Cross the Line. Now to your host, Daniel Hostetter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cross the Line, a biblical perspective on politics. I'm Daniel Hostetter, the editor-in-chief of The Citizen's Brief, and your host for today's episode. If you like what you hear today, read and subscribe to our nonpartisan Christian political newsletter online at thecitizensbrief.com. Follow us on social media at The Citizen's Brief. If you haven't listened to our chat with professor and author Karen Swallow Pryor, be sure to check that out after this episode, of course. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. Joe Carter is an editor for the Gospel Coalition and has written countless articles for them on faith, culture, and politics. Pastor Carter serves as an executive pastor at McLean Bible Church in Arlington, Virginia. He is the former senior editor of the Acton Institute's Power Blog and served as a communication specialist for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention alongside Russell Moore. Pastor Carter is the author of the Life and Faith Field Guide for Parents and the editor of the NIV Life Hacks Bible. Joe co-authored the book, How to Argue Like Jesus, Learning Persuasion from History's Greatest Communicator. Pastor Joe Carter, so glad to have you on Cross the Line. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be on. Absolutely. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, so a few weeks ago, The Atlantic published a cover story entitled, QAnon is More Important Than You Think. The piece, which was well-researched and I thought it was a pretty intriguing read, generated quite a bit of buzz on social media. But you were ahead of the game. Uh, five days before that Atlantic piece was published, you wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition on that same thread, titled, Christians are not immune to conspiracy theories. This wasn't a one-off take by you, as you've written extensively in the past about conspiracies, political cults, and things like that. We've seen many wacky conspiracies recently, to be frank, from QAnon to 5G towers causing COVID-19, to a Bill Gates-funded bioweapon. And I think many of us downplay that the devotees of these conspiracies are kind of out of the mainstream, but is that really true? Do you feel like conspiracy theories are becoming more widely accepted? I think they're, yeah, they're definitely kind of widely accepted. And first, every week I get a pastor reaching out to me and say, have you heard about this before? This is in my church now. These people actually believe in it. And it's, uh, I think what's different now is social media make it easier for people who hold conspiracies to find each other or to share different views. And so promote it, make it seem like it's more mainstream than it is. I mean, we've always had conspiracy theories. People believing in such theories. We just, I think it's, we're, to the point now where it's become popular to express those publicly in a way that, that's actively harmful to the church. We've seen a lot more Christians kind of publicly talk about these things. So why do you feel like many professing Christians have jumped on board with conspiracy theories like QAnon and other things like that? Like, what's so attractive about them? I think there's probably two things. Especially in evangelical culture, we're very uh, fascinated by eschatology. In the end mm-hmm. times, I mean, you know, the left behind both and all those kind of things. We've always had that kind of built in our DNA. We're real, really interested in the end times, and so we always look for things and how they connect to that. Uh, I remember when I was growing up at church, when we would read through the book of Revelation, they would explain how this was the uh, Soviet tank, this was the Soviet aircraft, yeah. and, you know, this was all fulfillment. I think it just, we want some simple explanation that ties in what we know now with what's going to come. We have a kind of Gnostic tendency. We want to know that there's a secret out there, and we can just find it, and we have the key to uh, secret key to knowledge. So I think these kind of things kind of attract us, kind of fit into our world here already in, in a way that's 
that kind of fits consistently. Or, well, not, I should say consistently, but fits in easy enough that we can adapt these things. And so it makes it easier to kind of believe things. Um, because we want a simple explanation for the world. The world's complicated, and we don't complicated. We want to hear that somebody's in charge, and that's why things are so bad. It's not because we have many, billions of people that are sinners, and they're all doing their thing, and, and, you know, creating chaos in the world. We want to, to be somebody uh, we can blame. There's a secret cabal of people acting in ways that are actively harming that's an interesting point. Kind of going off of that, it seems like there's this common thread among conspiracy theorists that there's a group of elites, just a few people, this secret cabal that's plotting against the masses. There seems to be kind of an obsession with power, a fixation on fighting, whether metaphorically or literally, and there's a devotion to the cause of winning. And often, I feel like the victim card is kind of pulled as adherents have claimed that the system is stacked against them and that they can't really do anything to fight that. So President Trump has often railed against the so-called deep state and against the media claiming that they're out to get him. I feel like there's some very distinct parallels between Trump's presidency and this conspiracy mindset. Do you think that the president's rhetoric kind of plays a role in encouraging the growth of conspiracies among his supporters? I think so, and I think that uh, what's kind of unique about Trump is he's very conspiratorial-minded already. Uh, he was you know, out front with the birther nonsense that, uh, mm. that there was Obama wasn't really born in America, he was born in Kenya. But he was already kind of... Uh, enamored with these conspiracies to begin with. So now when he gets to power, he just assumes that anything's going off, there's got to be somebody working against it. There's got to be a conspiracy working against it. Uh, so I think uh, be, when you have the person at the top of the of the power structure in the world saying there's a conspiracy out to get him, it makes it much easier for people to believe, well, obviously, if they're out to get him, they're probably out to get me too. They're out to get all of us. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of feeds into the, makes it seem more plausible when the person who supposedly has all this knowledge about what's going on with government uh, is feeding into the, these ideas. So we've kind of talked about this, like the ideas behind conspiracy theories and kind of why people go to them, but what is actually so dangerous about political cults and conspiracies? I would say there's a couple of different things. Uh, one is that it makes you a victim. There's a certain leftist mindset that says the world is divided between the victimizers and victims. Mm -hmm. And conspiracy theory is a kind of a leftist idea that uh, you're on the... You're, you're the victim. You're the victim of conspiracy that you don't really understand. So it kind of pushes that leftist ideology into causes to accept it. And when we start accepting one strand of leftist ideology, I think we kind of uh, accept it more broadly. And we, we start seeing ourselves as victims. And that kind of affects the way we interact with the world. If the world's not, if, if there's a secret plot to how to get you or that you can't control, then you really can't be responsible for anything you do. Right. Your life is kind of stacked, definitely stacked against you. So you just really have no reason to uh, take accountability for your life. So I think at the extreme end, that kind of fills in that kind of mindset. It kind of uh, makes people believe it. And I think if you look at the actual uh, our culture today, we do have that idea that we're all victims somehow, and that somebody's always out to get us, and that we really can't be blamed that for our failures because um, everything was stacked against us. We see this this moment now where with the with the George Floyd protests and kind of how these racial and ethnic tensions have boiled over, but we see a lot of, of talk about this systemic oppression and things like that. Do you, do you think that, um, I don't know, that, that kind of idea of victimhood, do you think that plays into those those frustrations about oppression? I think partially. I think it, we have to be careful that, I mean, part of the problem with conspiracy theories is it covers up the true problem, the true systemic mm -hmm. problems in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, systemic racism, I think, is, is, a, is a real thing. Mm -hmm. 
maybe it's, it's overplayed by the left sometimes and it's uh, we kind of make it out to be more than it is. It kind of overpowers people's individuality. We all, all kind of feed in this idea that, yes, we're all victims. And so the key is to go looking for who's victimizing it. Mm. Who, who is to blame for the, for the reason we are? Uh, now, that's not to say that there's no uh, victims in the world. There obviously are. There's people who are oppressed and who are kept down. Uh, racial injustice is real. That's why I think we're, we're seeing the backlash, you know, the uprisings we're seeing now. But there is part of it that feeds into the our kind of conspiratorial mindset, kind of feeds into this and makes it more in a way that essentially kind of idealistic and says, well, there's nothing we can really do about it. I mean, if we're protesting, we should be protesting to change things, to change racial injustice. But if you believe in the kind of conspiracy theory mindset, it's why even bother? Because you're mm-hmm. game changer. You know, if there are a lot of people who are in control, they're never going to let you gain power. So uh, there's nothing you can really do. So some people would argue that simple speculation or just talking about things like conspiracy theories is harmless. And according to those people, the conspiracies could be true. There's that possibility. So it's worth exploring. Is speculation like this fruitful or is it actually harmful? Well, that's what, the, uh, and that's kind of what, I get a lot of pushback from people that, well, obviously some conspiracies are true. And that's true. If you look at the history, there's some certain times when people are secretly plotting <laughs> to, uh, to, to harm the, the public. But in, in general, the problem with conspiracy theories is it causes you to slander people, uh, whether you know them or not. It's usually people, the faces, people that you don't even, you don't even know, uh, by making claims against them that harm their reputation, even though you don't know those facts are true. There's nothing wrong with saying, I wonder if this happened, uh, let's look into it. But if you say, for example, that something is happening, you, you need to have some kind of evidence. One, one good example is, uh, I'm sure you're familiar, uh, your audience is familiar with George Soros, the, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the billionaire who funds a lot of leftist organizations. It's not a week goes by that I'm not accused of being paid by George Soros. Hmm. Now, of course, this, I've never, of course, never taken a down from Soros. I don't know why he would pay me because we're such on the opposite end of the ideological spectrum. But people just make this claim without any evidence. And it's, it's slanderous. And people just have no qualms anymore about funding it because I think our online culture where we're so used to insulting each other all the time. We forget as Christians, we, we're not, we can't be like that. We can't just go slander and make an accusation about people when we have no basis for, or no evidence for those claims. And so conspiracy theories tend to make claims that are outside the evidence. There's no evidence for this, but they're going to make claims anyway in a way that harms people's reputation. And I think that's the most harmful thing. In light of kind of all that, how should the church, how should the body of Christ respond to conspiracy theories and respond to our brothers and sisters who, who kind of fall for them. How do we condemn these falsehoods and this lack of evidence while loving people at the same time? I think there's two things we need to do. Uh, one, we, we really need to promote the truth. Mm-hmm. Taking a very black attitude about truth outside the church, especially. Uh, we, we just take for granted that politicians lie. We just like, well, that's, that's what they do. Even Christian politicians, and there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says there's exemption for any group God hates the lie. He abhors lying. That's all throughout the Bible. Yet when politicians do it or when people online spreading uh, conspiracy theories do it, we kind of give them a pass as if they're some kind of exemption because they believe it's true because they want it to be true. So I think, you know, promoting the truth is the, the biggest thing we, we need to change. The second is we need to be shaped more by the Bible than our political, but our politics. I'm a very in the past, I've been very politically oriented. Now that I'm, I'm trying to get away from that, 
but it, uh, I work for political organizations. I work for presidential campaigns. And too often I find myself realizing some things I believe are more based on my politics than based on the Bible. When I actually look into what the Bible says about this issue, I realize maybe I need to change that. And I think that's the problem. We, we're so used to thinking, if it fits my politics, I, it's okay. I can, I can accept it. And too often our conspiracy theories fit our political views. We say, well, we can accept that even though it causes us to slander people. Well, the Bible doesn't give us exemption from slander. Yeah. Just because it fits with certain politics, your mm-hmm. politics has to get out there. Uh, focus on truth and focus more on the biblical over the political is the two things that really change their, uh, their culture on this issue. A quote that I, that I really like, I don't remember who said it, but it's that our faith should inform our politics rather than our politics informing our faith. And I think that's really what you're saying here is that our politics shouldn't be kind of the end-all be-all, our ultimate hope. Our politics should be based off of who Christ is and our relationship with him rather than our political views shaping and changing that relationship with him. So the church has not only been obliged to respond to conspiracies as of late, but I I feel like a different kind of pandemic has also forced the church's hand on some different issues. COVID-19 has changed the way that Christians worship and fellowship, at least for now, and the churches have had to adapt to the ever-changing circumstances of our age. So how has your church, uh, McLean Bible Church, responded to the coronavirus? We were really kind of out front, and from the very, you know, the, as soon as we realized it was a, it was a problem in our area, we, we closed down our church, we moved everything offline, we started practicing social distancing. Uh, fortunately, as a, as a big church, we already kind of had the structure in place where we could move things online pretty quickly. That's uh, something a lot of smaller churches just weren't able to do. Uh, so we were very fortunate in that respect. It's been tough. It's, it's hard not seeing your people, not being with your people. But I think there, there's, this is one of the times when God is calling us to, to change the way we're living temporarily for the better good and for the, God, the greater good of our, our community. I heard a pastor say the other week that he didn't want his church immediately returning to the old normal of kind of normal services, so he decided to do outdoor services to kind of discover a new normal, kind of make us uncomfortable for a bit. So what have churches learned over the past few months that should contribute to this new normal and these new opportunities that you were talking about? And what can this kind of new idea of church look like? I think we've got to be careful that it's, it's going to be too easy to adopt some of these practices and say, but we did fine when we was online. Maybe mm-hmm. we should just move more things online. And I think we really need to, I think it, what, the lesson we should learn is how much personal interaction and being with each other is, how important that mm-hmm. is. We should try to use what, what takeaways we can from this to learn how we can adjust make necessary adjustments when we, when we can, but also not let this move us further away from in person. I think one of the big lessons is this should give us a feeling of all these, uh, how people are shut in for elderly people who can't come to our church. How are we reaching them now that we've experienced the same thing? How, how are we going to change how we interact with those kind of people now that we've kind of experienced what they have to go through all the time? So I think there's a lot of lessons we're going to learn coming out of this. But I'm just afraid that too often we're going to, the wrong lesson we're going to learn is that uh, technological distancing, where we can put very technological barriers between mm-hmm. us and our people, is the right way to go. And I think it should be more personal than less. So we've seen COVID-19 has put tens of millions by this point of Americans out of work. And this kind of financial crash that we haven't seen in a long time, alongside rising political tensions that have been building for a long time, have given way to the George Floyd protests and riots. And America is really hurting right now. Uh, so I feel like this is really a prime opportunity for the church to step in. 
So what should the church be saying and doing right now in light of the pandemic and the ethnic polarization? Well, I think one of the things that the church can offer people is hope for the future. And our future is always in the far distant eschatological future. Things may not get back to normal in a couple of months. And I think the church has that. Because I think a lot of people think that it's like something's pressing down on us, and as soon as it lifts up, everything's going to be back to normal. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to be back to normal for years. And I think the church can step in and, because we understand how to live in a way that is not day-to-day. We're, li- we're living for the future. We're living for eternity. So what can we do to kind of show people the hope that we have? And first of all, of course, the hope is in Jesus. That, that's the first hope they need. Without that, nothing else matters. But show that, that, that it's not just about the day-to-day, uh, this hurry up, get the economy back on track so we can go back and spending money at the malls. How do, how do we use this time and use this experience to realize what is most important in life? What is really meaningful? And how can the church uh, use this experience to show people there's a better way forward? Well, Pastor Joe Carter, thank you so much for joining us on Cross the Line today. I really enjoyed this conversation and I got a lot out of it. So how can our listeners keep up with your work? Uh, you can see me on the Gospel Coalition. I write twice a week there, so find all my articles there. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cross the Line, a Christian perspective on politics. To hear more episodes like this and to read the Citizens Brief newsletters and feature articles, check us out at thecitizensbrief.com. If you enjoyed this episode of our podcast, we would love it if you shared it with a friend or two. You just heard from Pastor Joe Carter, and I'm your host, Daniel Hostetter. We'll see you on the next episode of Cross the Line.